it's Dr. Two's podcast with me, your host, Dr. Stuart Fishbein. Or in meditation mode, it's it's Dr. Stu's podcast. <laughs> I'm a community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices, and I'm here, as usual, with the best co-host in the business, the mysterious one, midwife extraordinaire, Bliss Young. How are you doing, Bliss? That's on. that's not meditative. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that is. Not, do that again. Do that again. Well, hello. All right, excuse me for a minute. I'll be I'll be back in about five minutes. <laughs> You're so silly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a little upset today because Bella is banned from the uh, broadcast room. <laughs> Bella the dog. She unplugged Bella one the of the uh, speakers. So and she was begging for my food. Oh, and she's begging for your food. Mm-hmm. All right, we're happy to be back with you for our podcast number one. We're running out of music. Oh my gosh, one sixty five. So it's great to be here. You can check us out at drstewspodcast.com. And you obviously have found us either on iTunes or your podcast app. Somebody complained that we're not on Spotify. So, Ooh, uh, Renee, if you are hearing that, make sure that that gets cleared up. Thanks very much. You can email me at askdrstew at gmail.com or bliss at birthingbliss at hotmail.com. And we're on social media at Instagram at, at birthinginstincts and at birthingblissmidwifery. Bliss is with a Y, B-L-Y-S-S. Is that our first complaint? That's the first time I heard that somebody couldn't find us on Spotify, but I don't know. It's not no. the first complaint, for God's <laughs> sakes. <laughs> we should do a podcast just with complaints. Oh, God. No, thank you. I decline. So? Yeah, hi. I just got over some uh, weird jet lag, but but what about you? How oh, are you yeah. doing first? I want to hear about that. No, I want to hear about how you're you dressed... doing first. Because everybody wants to know, by the way, how you're doing. Oh. I dressed like it's... Uh... Like it's the dead of winter and it's 80 degrees outside. Yeah, why did you do that? I noticed you were wearing a sweater. And boots and socks and black pants. Um, I uh, thought it was cold. Oh. <laughs> so. Or were you just like uh, empathizing with my Alaska adventure? <laughs> Maybe. I looked at your pictures yeah, and thought. Right. Yeah. Um, but I'm um, I'm okay. Yesterday was actually a good day. I'm, I'm getting, I don't know if we talked about it, but I've been like a puzzling fiend. Puzzling like crazy. Yes, well, I, I've... I'm aware of that. I could get through a thousand piece puzzle in a day and a half. I mean, I was like, well, I was, I was if rocking you had, it. If you had that one youngster there, you could probably get through it in about an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> we were over, we, I was over at Bliss's house doing a, for dinner one night, last week, I guess it was, <laughs> and they were doing a, a puzzle and this one eager youngster. My God. Uh, nephew, I guess. Would I would I, I would be holding a piece in, of in the puzzle in my hand, trying to figure out if I could figure out where it goes, and he and he would take it out of my hand. <laughs> he snatched it. Yeah, he got in trouble. He got <laughs> in he? trouble for being. And then he would lean over the puzzle so the rest of us couldn't see. Yeah, it. we had a talking to. We did. We did. Okay. Yeah, he's not right. He's a puzzle like fiend. Yeah, I guess he just got overzealous. No, I think they made a movie once about people that do jigsaw puzzles. I've never seen it. Yeah, I think they did. I think they did. Anyways. Uh, I put it. I put them away. I cleared off my table. I put the puzzles away. Oh, you're done now. Just for a couple of days, I want to see what's happening. And I've been getting back to meditating. And did you buy some logs? Walking. I still have not bought any more wood. Jordan's been saying. I gave I you the link. I if, know. You, if you need me to do it for you, I will do it for you're you sweet. again. Jordan's going to do it. You sure? I'm not. But <laughs> <laughs> this is what we discussed yesterday. <laughs> okay. Um. So you know. But it's got warm. It's supposed to get cool again next week. Okay. By LA standards, for people listening in the Great White North. Yeah, yeah, it's 80 degrees here today. Yeah, what a weird day. Mm-hmm. But by the time you're hearing this podcast, it won't be 80. It'll be cold again. It'll be cooler again. <laughs> right. Thanks for asking. So I've uh, sort of been in OCD mode. I think it's getting worse as I get older. I was going to say, is that new? No. Well, it's not. It's, no, it's what it's also. It, I think being partially OCD makes, makes you good at what you do. Okay. So what's. I think everybody who's good at what they do has some element of OCD. Mm, that might be an OCD bias. <laughs> is there an OCD bias? Yeah, because artists are probably the opposite of that, and they're very good at what they do because they f- they're f- more fluid and they like let the creative juices flow. Well, that may be true, but that's not what. I, but they may they may be so into what they're doing that they ignore other things like cleaning or grocery shopping or personal hygiene or whatever else because they're into their mm-hmm. art thing. That's a bit. That's in my my definition. That would be. A OCD? bit of OCD. Oh, okay. It's the it's the constructive OCD. It's the one that helps you get projects done. Okay. So how have you been in your OCD mode? What's been going on? Uh, I'm finding it harder and harder to sit and do nothing. Mm. You're antsy. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sitting in my I'm sitting in my apartment and and I see little pieces of cat litter from the cat litter from the feet of my cats, like on the carpet, and I have to go get my vacuum cleaner and vacuum it up. You need a Roomba. I have a Roomba. Oh. It gets stuck in the corner. <laughs> I think they're stupid. Yeah. Actually, I've watched them. I'm like, yeah, it's very like, It's like, turn left. Turn left. It's wide open. Turn left. And it keeps wanting to turn right. And yeah. it won't, it won't, it just keeps doing it. I know. So maybe, maybe I have a malfunctioning Roomba or <laughs> a retarded. Can you say that? Oh, no. Oh, we're going to, we're now with self-censoring too. <laughs> that was one of my topics for today too, oh. about how people don't, don't say stuff because... They're afraid of what other people might think, even though it's what everybody's thinking. <laughs> but my my Roomba is totally retarded. Okay. You can say it. It's your podcast. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's mentally challenged. What's the word we're supposed to use now? <laughs> we'll go with that one. You can't even say handicapped anymore. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I know. It says handicapped parking lot. They're going to have to change, though. They're going to probably have to change that to... What's the new word? Disabled or... Uh, uh-huh. or I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't keep up. That's something I'm not OCD about. No, but I, you know, I have to... I'm thinking, always thinking about what I need to do next. You need a puzzle. You think? Oh, it helps. It's like a meditation. Your brain is focused on something. <laughs> I don't something. think I have a table big enough in my apartment <laughs> to do a puzzle on. Though. They have puzzling tables. Oh, no. I know about all the puzzles. They have puzzling gear. tables? Like yeah, with little drawers so you can do your little separating. And yeah, I got geeked out. Oh, my God. I'm too, I'm too young to be so... Yeah. It's just a phase. Geeky. It is. It's just a phase. It's a safe one. I yeah. figured there's a lot worse things I could be doing. hmm Yep. So... How like, was your like trip? What? <laughs> people, people are going. Hey, what, what? Ask her. Ask her. Ask her the question. Drugs, <laughs> sex, drugs, and rock and roll. How's that? Well, <clears throat> sex and rock and roll are fine. Well, yeah, that's another podcast, <laughs> right, John? It's another podcast. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We we will be talking to our producer at a future podcast. He's got an album coming out. New project. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so let's talk about, let's catch up. Uh, the, Kings, tri- the Kings traded away a bunch of my favorite players. Oh. Very sad, but that's the end of an era. What I don't understand, and for those of you hockey fans will understand what I'm saying about, is we traded a lot of our best players, not their best players, but the ones that had to be traded, and we knew they were going to be traded this year, but we traded them in the same division. I don't which know. Which is an unusual thing. Usually we'll trade them to the East Coast or something like that, but now we trade them to the teams that we hate. Mm-hmm. So now it's harder to hate the teams that we hate. That might not be so bad. Less hate. That's true. I did I did even post that. Love more. Yeah. You mean from your trip? Yeah. I know. I liked your post. You did. Yeah. Well, it was, how can you not? You're sitting there. I'm with my friend Laura. We're on we're on a group with about fifteen people, two vans, we drive three hours north of Anchorage. Uh, I went to Alaska, by the way, people, to uh, teach <laughs> breach, but we sp- I got there a couple days early. Had a couple of days to enjoy Anchorage, and and uh, you can actually enjoy Anchorage. <laughs> it was quite pretty. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, and it snowed every day, so mm-hmm. it was just it was gorgeous, and it was that light, quiet, snowfall mm-hmm. where everything's white and there's no wind, and it's not that cold. It's in the twenties or teens. I mean, that sounds cold, but it's you know it's not that cold, and you know my old Minnesota blood began to come back afterwards, and I got used to. I know how to walk on snow and I know how to drive on snow and I know how to do these sorts of things and it all came back to me really quickly. Yeah. But nonetheless, we they gave us snowsuits to wear. We went we went three hours north of Anchorage. We left at 8 o'clock at night. We got up to the site around 11 o'clock. We had one pit stop on the way. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to, uh, uh, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere and you're wearing a snowsuit. So <laughs> if you got to go, it's really tough, especially for the women. But... Um, and so, and, and we just got, we got a really nice break in the weather, clear skies, millions of stars or thou- hundreds of thousands of stars. And we got up to the place and, and we started to see the Northern Lights and they just came out and it happened to be a great night and we had a great show. It was just uh, one of those bucket list things that, yeah. that I had seen the Northern Lights in 1981 when I'd spent six weeks in Alaska, but that was in the summertime and it wasn't as impressive and I really don't remember it, but this one I remember, I did post one picture on Instagram. I've got several pictures that were taken by the professional guides that came that, that drove us there, and they're a little bit of time lapse. So it's, it's cheating a little bit. They don't. They aren't green like that when you're looking at them. They're more white. Uh huh. But they obviously have a green hue if you expose your eyes long. You know, if you if you had a long enough exposure, your eyes just can't do that. Mm. But they were dancing. 
they were moving and they were coming and going. And when you sit there underneath, and we lay down in the snow and just, they didn't have chairs for us. I suggested they bring lounge chairs next time so that we can unfold them and just lay there. But we laid down in the snow and we just looked up at the sky. And I probably laid there for 45 minutes oh, just looking yeah. up at the sky yeah. and watching it. And you ha- can't, when you think about what's causing this to happen and how it's just, just particles, protons being spewed out from the sun and that the sun's got a hundred thousand million, whatever, I don't even know how many atomic bombs going off inside of it every second. Um, and it's been doing that for millions of years mm-hmm. and it will probably continue to do it for another several million billion years or whatever it's been billions of years, i guess four billion years or something like that who knows but the particles just come out and then the magnetic field has a hole in it or it's weak and it allows the particles to come in at different rates um they even now of course have an app for that they have a <laughs> they have a satellite app where you can tell when when which days are which what in like 32 minutes there's going to be a surge huh that's cool yeah it is sort of cool um we didn't pay attention to it but but the guy showed it to me and I can't remember the uh, the app's address, but but it was pretty cool. Anyway, nonetheless, it wasn't as cool as looking up at the sky and just mm-hmm. watching and watching the miracle of how these particles hit the sky and they change the the way they come in waves and change color and and um, we're just sitting there with little people and we're thinking about you know the person who you know didn't pay us the you know owes us twenty bucks and didn't pay us back or twenty bucks or all the little issue things like yeah so they traded Tyler to Foley to the to the Vancouver and you know now I have to watch him on Vancouver and Alec Martinez on Vegas <laughs> damn it all right but <laughs> it doesn't mean anything when you think about it so when you have little arguments and so you just try not to have those those things yeah you know I'm and if somebody pisses you off like uh, somebody I, I tried to co- move over a lane yesterday when I got back I was driving to my office in the morning and this guy in a big truck just wouldn't let me in. Just wouldn't let me in. So I got a, I got a little bit ahead of him, had my signal on, and I cut it, and he honked at me, and he came by me on the right side and flipped me the bird. And it's like, hi. <laughs> you know, and I, 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 I know that in, in the past, sometimes I would respond in kind. Mm-hmm. But I chose not to do that because I was thinking in, of the Aurora Borealis. Yeah, you're in vacation mode still. No, I was completely jet lagged. <laughs> well, I took the red eye. I got home at like five thirty in the morning, uh-huh. and, and then I had to go to work at nine. So you planned it that way. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I slept nine hours this morning, though. Good for you. I know. I, I haven't slept. slept tw- I slept twelve the other day. Twelve yeah, that's hours. A, that's a long time. Well, I went to bed early because I thought I was going to get called to a birth. Yeah. And then I didn't, and so. <laughs> and but your body stayed asleep. Your body needed it. Obviously, when you sleep like we, like you did or I did last night, mm-hmm. you need it. You need it. Yeah. Right. I missed the night before, so that makes sense. Have you been doing some births? Yeah, I did a birth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. Uh, oh no, I've had. I think I've had two since then. Had one um, in uh, in the canyon. Beautiful water birth. Um, Pretty straightforward. She first time mom though. Like the doula got there forty five minutes before me, and said you should come. And so I came, and I was setting up the tub, and I could hear her grunting downstairs. And yeah, she just had her baby. No tub. No, she got in the tub. Oh, I was did? filling oh. the tub while they were downstairs. Oh, how many times have we had to set up the tub and they didn't make it? Yeah, they didn't make it. Yeah, she wanted it, so I went for it. <clears throat> and then um. I had another prime app who went into labor and her same kind of situation, her doula got there and said, she's really booming. She's saying her contractions are two, two to three minutes apart. And I was like, great, I'll come and set up the tub. You know, I just had this great experience and, um, I got her in the tub and, you know, once we get them in the water, we listen to see how baby's responding. And sometimes babies can be tachycardic because the water's warm. This baby was in the hundreds. 100. And I was like, huh. So then I called Hayes to come up and we changed her position in the tub, checked again, still 100. And that really like steady, like, you know. And so I was like, oh, we should get her out. We got her out, got her on the bed, tried three more positions, put oxygen on her, wouldn't budge. And it, what Was it not 100 earlier? No. Hundred okay. um, It was 100 and... 20 during the contraction and like a hundred and you know in the 130s in between yep and um 
And so we made the decision to go in because nothing seemed to be remedying it. As soon as she was downstairs, the paramedics were there. Um, it seemed normal again. Uh, and I was like, oh. she was only seven, though, you know, I kind of thought about you. I thought, like, what would Stu do in this situation? But she wouldn't, you know, she wasn't complete. We couldn't even try to, like, push. I mean, it was just too far from delivery. And that was her first baby. First baby. Um, and the paramedics were real jerks. Oh, I was going to thought you were going to say they were really helpful. Nope. They put her in the in the car. They said that the. Husband could go with them. They said that we could go to the hospital that she requested. And then they put her in and closed the doors. And I was like, can I listen to the baby until you guys are ready to go? And they're like, nope. So they're in there trying to get an IV in there. Nobody's listening to the baby. And I and her husband were standing there like watching them do this whole thing. And then I asked again. And they still were like, nope. We're doing our job. You just you just be patient. And I'm thinking, like, what if my baby was, like, tanking right now? You know, what would I do? And they're it's parked really in front of their house trying to get an IV in? Yep. Yep. So, anyways, that was pretty frustrating. Um, and then we went to St. John's. and well, be, Before you do that, mm -hmm. before we go on to that, my question would be is, is, is it that standard that every patient they have has to have an IV? Yeah, but I've transported before where they're doing the IV while we're rolling. I've yeah, seen them so do I'm just it. I'm just wondering. And they're usually really cool with me. What their thought listening. process was here. He said we're we're paying attention. I said, is someone listening to the baby? Because I've never seen a paramedic listen to the baby. And yeah. they're like, no. And I'm like, well, that's why we're transporting. I need to hear this baby. And he's like, you need to just wait. So that was very uncomfortable. But they finally left and went to St. John's. And um, St. John's was, <laughs> I know, Aurora Borealis, <laughs> Aurora Borealis. I was getting really angry. Oh my God. Yeah, it was really uncomfortable. Um, and then um, St. John's was amazing, by the way. I want to do a shout out for St. John's. That's in Santa Monica, Santa Monica. California. Um, there, there's other St. John's around. Yeah, we took the... Um, John was a popular guy, <laughs> I guess. We took the laborist on call um, as our provider. Um, they preferred that over UCLA, which there's the midwives that we can transport to sometimes. And um, our nurses were amazing. They were totally respectful. They give us lots of space. Um, Fortunately, the heart rate was great. probably fine. It was fine. Right. Um, and Because uh, it would have been awful had it been yep. awful. And they'd been sitting there trying to get an IV in her yep, instead of driving. It would have been bad. Um, and, uh, you know, at first you think, oh, man, did I? And I asked Hayes, like, you know, should we have done something else? She's like, no, we changed position four times. We put oxygen on her. Like, 100, you got to go. You know, you can't stay with 100. So, um but she ended up having heavy mech. Remember we saw her and you, you said this could be mech or it could be um, Vernex. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was, she had heavy mech when her bag broke. And then she just labored and labored and labored and labored and labored and things just weren't progressing. She was really struggling. Um, she finally got an epidural when she was like, I can't, I just can't do this anymore. I have to rest. And um, she was complete. And had already been pushing for a while. And so she got the epidural and rested. And then we pushed again for a couple of hours. And the baby just never came down. And, you know, she said, what do you think? And I said, well, we could keep doing this. You know, you guys have heard me my spiel before. I'll be with you the whole time. Whatever you decide, you know, you're fine. The baby's fine. Do what you feel like you need to do. And they made the decision to have a C-section because she just felt like she couldn't continue to to do it and and admitted that it was a little traumatizing for her w before she got the epidural you know we went uh, we went probably 10 hours without the epidural and you know that point where you start in to, the hospital mm -hmm, okay where you start to notice we were there for 20 hours with her at the hospital um when you start to notice like this is no longer coping this is she's now suffering and that's not the point. The point is not to suffer. So, um, well said. I think she feels really good about her decision. And how did the, you have you had the laborist? You said so. Mm -hmm. Did they change shift? Did you have a different? We laborist? did. Okay. The first one we were like, nah, it's not very warm and friendly. The second one was so like gave informed consent, was smiley, was like respected when she said she didn't want to do pitocin at first. She just wanted to do the epidural. Um, you know, just like really gave her so much space and autonomy. It was really, 
It's one of the best hospital experiences I've had. Well, it's interesting because we talked about this on an earlier podcast. I can't remember a long time ago, but but how they thought that the laborist model was going to lower the C-section rate because there was no pressure to get home to dinner or get to the kids' softball game or anything like mm-hmm. that because the laborist is working 12 hours or 24 hours, whatever they're working as a shift, and mm-hmm. whatever goes on, goes on. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that that's not, it's the, not the model that makes the difference. It's the physician themselves that yeah, makes that the difference. Makes sense. Because I told the story, I think, of what happened to us in Palm Springs yeah. not too long ago, yeah. where, where the laborist did everything she could not to have the patient come in. Whereas this one uh, sounds like she was, ex- she, he, she? They both were women. She mm-hmm. was very, very patient. Mm-hmm. Um, because if this had been somebody who wanted to go home, who was the doctor on call in the old fashioned days where, you know, it was my, sh- my turn to be on call and cover a Cedar Sinai ER. Right. Uh, would I want to sit around for 20 hours? No, I wouldn't want to do that, but that, that they did it. And, and so that, yeah. Uh, so shout out for them. Yeah. It's unfortunate though, because they didn't have a lot of skills to help rotate the baby or, you know, do anything that, like nobody was really even assisting to see how they could help this baby get into the pelvis. They said if, if uh, you know, guy had to cap it and everything, mm-hmm. that even if the baby got down, they couldn't put a vacuum on because the cap it was there. And But nobody, like, like I'm like, where are the skills of, like, you know, like rotating her up, a baby? Her, yeah, getting her up, moving her. I mean, we everything. were doing that, but, right. like, I couldn't put my hands in her, you mm. know? So it was, it was, that was difficult to realize, like, the woman, one of the nurses was a, was a um, midwife from Europe for 20 years. And I said, do you know how to rotate a baby? Like, you know, can you? And she's like, I don't really do that. And I'm thinking, she just, she can't because she's a nurse now yeah, and not, they, a, they, not a midwife. Yeah, you know, we, all, we talk about people self-censoring speech, but they also, they also self-censor what they can do in their setting because they know what will come down upon them if they were to go outside of the norms. But isn't that part of your training as an OB or back in the day? Like, I don't, I have, I, I really can't comment on what they're training OBs to do right now. No, but for you. What about rotating? About, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. We, we had hands in and on everything. Yeah. That, I mean, days. she never, she t- checked her to see where the baby was, but she never did anything when we were pushing at all. Nothing. Zero. Yeah. And so I started to think like, so they're either going to section or they're going to wait until the baby's right at the perineum, which you don't even really... You don't need to do much at that point. You know, it's like, where where's the skill, right? So anyway, that was that. And while that was happening, my friend and midwife colleague, um, shout out to Kim and her husband, Gerald, um, delivered their baby within two hours while I was at the hospital. So I called in backup to go and catch her baby with her. Your friend, Kim. A Kim, a midwife friend of mine from school. She was a oh. client. And she they had their baby this weekend too, same so, day. So you had you had a couple of births. Then. I had a couple. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was I went to Alaska. Yes, you people did. know. <laughs> and I want to give a personal thank you to uh, Mary Yanagawa, who yeah. some of us know because she came down here to try to have a V back after five previous C sections. Yeah, she made a beautiful video too. She did. Yeah. And uh, you know, I don't know that she'll share it publicly. publicly. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, she sat on the beach with Iris, her baby, and told her story. She ended up having a sixth C-section, but that's because she went well beyond forty-two weeks and still had no nothing really going no on. No labor. Yeah, and we. I just I outside the hospital did not feel comfortable meddling with somebody with five previous C-sections, yeah. like putting in a Cook catheter or or giving her, as uh, Bodie Miller likes to call it, baby rocket fuel. <laughs> which is, <laughs> which we'll talk. Uh, by the way, people can look it up on today.com or people.com. Uh, Bodie and uh, Morgan Miller uh, went public with their twin home birth story. Yay. And they have a video that shows Bodie catching both twins and awesome. uh, the midwife arriving just seconds afterwards. Because, uh, and he, he just is big, this big on baby rocket fuel, he calls it, which is the castor oil con <laughs> thing. That, uh, uh, so that's my new name for it. It's, it's great. So thank you, Bodie. Um, Anyway, I was just saying that, that, so I want to thank Mary and I want to thank uh, my friend Glenn and Tara Elrod. Uh, some of you may know Glenn. Glenn uh, it was a um, uh, hospital-based obstetrician who, who was, wanted to do home birth. And he was actually interviewed, came down here many, uh, more than, probably a decade ago or more, 
uh, probably about a decade ago, came down here and possibly to, you know, work down here, ended mm-hmm. up going to Alaska. They opened up uh, Integrative Women's Wellness in, um, in near Wasilla, Alaska. No, I did not see Sarah Palin. Anybody wants to know that? <laughs> uh, I was looking everywhere. I saw moose, but I didn't see Sarah. <laughs> we had a moose sighting, but not a Sarah sighting. Um, and uh, they were great. And uh, so he is now doing mostly gynecology, uh, menopause hormone, that sort of thing, and some, some aesthetic stuff. And his wife, uh, they own a birth center together, and they are uh, um, doing great stuff up there. So uh, I want to thank them. And we had the seminar at the birth center. It's one of the prettiest birth centers I've ever been at. Wow. Um, yep, all designed by Tara, so shout out to them. Cool. We had a couple of really nice dinners. I had, uh-oh, I had halibut cheeks. Do you know mm-hmm. what halibut cheeks are? I didn't know halibuts had cheeks, but apparently they do. Cheeks of a halibut. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because they're sideways. And, you know, they lay flat. <laughs> uh-huh. And apparently they have a cheek. I don't know if they have two. I guess they must have two cheeks because mm-hmm. it's plural. But anyway, so the be- supposedly the best part of the halibut. And then I had king's crab's legs. I, I just had I to. I saw that picture. I, I couldn't be in Alaska without having king, king's crab's legs. Anyway, I got to enjoy myself there. So I want to shout out to them personally. But then there were so many other people that were who were so nice to us. Uh, Great Land Adventures, I want to give them a shout out because I forgot to put the uh, hashtag Great Land Adventures on my Instagram posts. I added it this morning. but um, And Mike, who was our tour guide and took us up and we got to see the uh, amazing Northern Lights. And then uh, Laura and I went for a hike in uh, Earthquake Park. Which is supposedly when they're, when it's when you can see the ground, <laughs> mm-hmm. you can see where the Earth had shifted uh, back in I think in 1964 they had a 9.2 earthquake in you know, mm-hmm. Anchorage and uh, the ground all shifted but but it was all everything was covered with snow and you couldn't see anything uh, except how the beautiful how beautiful it was and then uh, because I'm a big hockey fan and I, I noticed that the Alaska Anchorage Sea Wolves uh, college hockey team was having a game. And it was very exciting, and they they were they they've only won four games all year, and it was their last home game, and they um, were leading two to one with four minutes to go in the game, and they had a they had a power play, and the other team scored a shorthanded goal to tie the game, and then the Sea Wolves ended up losing in double overtime, but it was very exciting to go to a game where only about maybe a thousand people were there. There were only seats on one side of the arena. It was like being in a high school by in a high mm-hmm. school arena, mm-hmm. and it was so much fun. It was so much fun. Oh, good. Right. Yay. And uh, so I wanted, again, and then I t- had my breach seminar, which was uh, yeah, how'd it always come? fun. Um, good. Sophie's getting a little ta- little little strain in her neck now. You were going to have something, her, her perineum reinforced No, that's Sophie's mom. Sophie's uh, mom. I have a new Sophie's mom. You have a new one. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm finding out that when you hang them upside down, as we do, they're not designed for that, and they're so heavy that they begin to separate off of their base. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do about that. I talked to the manufacturers about redesigning Sophie's legs and about and about because she's hands and knees. You mean? No, Sophie's the baby's legs. Oh, the baby and mm-hmm. mom's mm-hmm. Um, attachment. Mm-hmm. They did. Re- they did fix the perineum. They they reinforced that now, so that they have a new style. It's less anatomically looking normal, but it's much more functional. Good. Um, yeah, and it went really, it, it goes really well. And then we talked about twins as well. So, um, everybody got to do breech extractions or internal pedalic versions. And what's that? That's where you push the head back up or uh, mm. say an arm comes down mm-hmm. and you have to get the baby out. So you push everything back up, find the feet, pull the feet out. Not that these people are going to be doing that because uh, midwives really don't do breaches in Alaska. Mm-hmm. But every now and then, of course, as we always talk about, you're going to have a surprise breach and you're going to need to know what to do. How far are they from the hospital? Oh, not that far mm-hmm. in, in uh, Wasilla. I don't exactly know. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything seems spaced out. That's what I'm thinking. Like if it's more like rural, you know, where it takes a while to transport to, you need better skills when you're in a situation like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there are some of the deliveries that are way out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the birth center itself is probably strategically located. I mean, I don't know where the hospital was. I never, you know, I didn't see it. But um, Do they do home births too or just birth center? I think they do some home births. And there's certainly there's, there's, there are five birth centers in, near, in and near Wasilla, Palmer, Anchorage area. It's a lot of birth centers when you think about it. They're yeah. a small population. Half, half the state lives in Anchorage. How many is that? Uh, 200,000 maybe. Mm. 
250,000. Oh, no. They said it swells up to 400,000 when the base. There's Elmendorf Air Force Base. There's some other base. On it, and, and so like uh, um, 20% of the population work at, uh, in, in Anchorage apparently work at this military base. Hmm. Right, like 50,000 people or something A like lot that. smaller than L.A. Oh, it's smaller than Santa Monica. I think we have five birth centers. You have more people in Santa Monica, California than they have in Alaska. So that's a lot of birth centers for Santa Monica. How many do you have? In Santa Monica? None. Oh my gosh. No. Oh. And I, I think the one... because the, the rent's too high, I think. I think the one in Marina's gone too. I think the rent's... You could probably buy 16 houses in Anchorage for the price <laughs> of a small bungalow in the valley. <laughs> anyway, anyway, it was a great, it was a great trip. So, um, what you want to talk about? Oh, we have to do that too. I mean, well, I was we could t- say goodbye. I have some things goodbye. to talk about, but my friend who's running for state senate in California, Anastasia Stone, mm-hmm. in, from Santa Barbara, she's also a doula mm-hmm. and uh, a great person. She just sent me, and I just happened to open it up before you showed up today. I'm turning towards you because um, my neck's stiff. A letter that I had seen before because it, uh, Santa Barbara Cottage Hospital used to have a ban on um, VBAC. VBACs. I think it still has a ban on VBAC. That's but what I thought. Someone recently had a VBAC there and it was supported by a phys- one of the physicians there who mm-hmm. still has her privileges. <laughs> we'll see how much longer Are that lasts. Are we going to mention her name? Yeah, Melissa Drake. She's, All right. Uh, Thanks, Melissa. She's, uh, is, she's a gem. And a, and Dr. A, Drake. She's, uh, she's very special and she's... Uh, unfortunately, when she does things like that, she ends up being, uh, dealing with the sort of wrath of the community. Yep. Anyway, the community is starting to get riled up more and more. I've been going up there every year for uh, for the uh, uh, VBAC uh, seminar that they have. They'll be having it again in April. Oh, uh, I was going to say I want to come, but I'll be gone in April, so I can't do it. Oh, that. where are you going in April? Uh, in my car. Oh, just, just going. I'm going to go to Sedona and then drive in You'll be back by June? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'll be back by May. I've got people due. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah, because everybody knows we're going to uh, Ecuador in June. Mm-hmm. Right? To teach and play. Right? Yeah, more play than teach. Well, that's more. Just two days of teaching. Yeah. And then we're going to try to get to Machu Picchu and the Galapagos. We have to sit down, by the way. We still I have know. to figure that out. I okay. know. All right. All right. So I'm going to read this because even though I don't like to read on my podcast for too long, this is really important. Um, and I, what I'll do is, Renee, I'm going to have you uh, make sure you ask me for the link and I'll put the link up on the podcast uh, website. All right. As some of you may know that our local hospital, Cottage Hospital, has a ban on VBAC, despite that going directly against ACOG recommendations. Because of this ban, I believe the majority of Santa Barbara obstetricians are not giving women informed consent when it comes to letting them know all of their options of birthing after a cesarean, including all the risks and benefits of multiple cesareans, as well as with VBAC. In addition, some OBs are actually misinforming women about their, the capability of their own bodies to bear children vaginally, as is what happened to me after my first birth. Women deserve to know they are options to make an informed choice. Some women may still choose to have a repeat cesarean section due to medical or personal reasons. Some women may want to try for a VBAC. The point is, it should be a choice. Women should not feel railroaded into medical procedure they may not actually want or need. Yep. What follows is an open letter to an OB who performed my cesarean in uh, my daughter in 2015. Dear Dr. R, R, you know who you are, by the way, okay? Who you are. Guess what? I did the impossible. My incapable body, quote unquote, gave vaginal birth to a perfect and healthy baby girl. You see, in 2015, you performed a cesarean section for the birth of my first child. It was a long and difficult labor, and I'm exceedingly grateful that we have modern medicine, skills, technology available to perform such procedures when necessary. However... At my two-week post-op appointment, I asked you about vaginal birth after cesarean. You laughed and patted my arm like a silly child. Mm -hmm. Quote, don't you think you did enough the first time, unquote? You said, you went on to tell me that my body was physically incapable of vaginal birth. I 100% believe this woman. She's not making this up. Which part? That the doctor said that? that Oh, we hear this stuff all the time. Um, and then he, then he says, you feel this quote unquote, you asked as your hand was up inside of me, jabbing either side of my vaginal canal. These are your bones. They're way too small for a baby. And you sent me on my way. 
Dr. R, your words were devastating. Mm -hmm. What? My body is incapable. My body is a failure. This perfectly created temple, this incredible vessel that grew another human being is defective. I thought it didn't happen this time because sunny side up babies are hard, because my cervix was swollen, because my blood pressure was rising. You're telling me it's because I'm incapable? How dare you say that to me in my most vulnerable state? You left me feeling raw and broken and freshly stitched wound to my womb aching. Mm-hmm. I felt that appointment in I left that appointment in tears. Luckily, I'm not someone who accepts being told facts about my life without assessing it for myself. Good for you, lady. Mm-hmm. I started reading about this physical incapability, self-pelvic disproportion or CPD. Wow, how crazy is it that I have an incredibly rare pelvis malformation? <laughs> <laughs> You know, and yeah, I I love her subtlety too. It's great. (laughs) And then the most interesting thing happened. I met one, two, five, seven, all these other women who also mysteriously suffered from the same thing. They were too small and incapable of vaginal birth. Wow. It's truly amazing that American women are able to birth vaginally at all, as it seems we have a CPD epidemic going on, which actually we do, right? How could so many women I know just in Santa Barbara (laughs) have all these incredibly rare disorders? So many women all lining up for their second, third, fourth cesareans, all believing their bodies weren't built to give birth, believing that this was the only option to bear a child. Once a cesarean, always a cesarean, right? It broke my heart. Mm. I started talking to people, to midwives, other OBs, to birth workers. I started asking questions. I got a second and a third opinion on my pelvis size. (laughs) Good for her. And you know what? They all told me what you didn't. They all told me my pelvis was perfect. They told me occiput posterior babies are hard. They told me I'm a fantastic candidate for a VBAC, that every birth is different and position can make all the difference. They told me the only way to know if it's possible is to try. They told me I have options, that I have a choice. Dr. R, why didn't you? Mm, What a great letter. On February 4th, I had the most beautiful and gorgeously intense VBAC experience I could have ever imagined. Mm -hmm. My daughter came into this world weighing a full pound and a half bigger than her sister, nine pounds, with a head in the 90th percentile. All through, my perf- <laughs> all through my perfectly capable pelvis. Dr. R, this letter isn't meant to shame you. Maybe a little. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. Point fingers or elicit any sort of apology. This letter is actually meant to thank you. Thank you for waking me to, to realizing that doctors are just people too. That we are all products of society and cultural influences. And unless we dare to assess and verify, ask hard questions and decide to do differently... If something not ringing true for us, we fall susceptible to perpetuating societal norms that may actually be incorrect or not in our best interest after all. You know, this is what I say all the time. I say, you know, that Thomas Paine said this 300 300 years ago. He said uh, the long habit, or 270 years, 250 years ago, the long habit of not thinking something wrong gives it the superficial appearance of being right. And and so she's being very gracious in in, in this response. Yes, she is. Um, And poetic. Thank you for igniting a fire in me to be my own advocate and not just following doctor's orders. Thank you giving, for giving me a voice in this ever-important topic of maternal health. If there is anything I wish to leave you with, it is this. Women deserve the truth. Women deserve informed consent. They deserve to know about all the options, all the choices available, about all the potential risks and benefits, not just the ones that are convenient or the ones you are told to give. We deserve better. I love it. End of the letter. And I love that, and I think this is really important. We were we were chatting about this before we started. Is you know we we need to be publishing this kind of stuff. We need to have it out there, and it needs to be from the women, right. or the families, I've or been the parents. Been saying that for decades. Yeah, because when when it comes from us, it's it's skewed for one thing, and we have more repercussions. It's you know the parents are free to be able to really talk. About. Right for us, it makes, they'll they'll just say, "Oh, it's self-serving," or mm-hmm. you're just you're self-promoting, or mm-hmm. you're you're in denial, or they, you or, know, they'll call you a name, right? Or we could lose the opportunity to be able to practice for future clients. I mean, especially midwives, we really are at risk for having um, you know negative repercussions happen. So, right, and then, and for those of us that speak out, um, the the risk of ostracization is right. is so high. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that. Like even my friend Glenn up in Alaska and me and even Dr. Chavira down down here mm-hmm. and Dr. Hayes back in Carolina and all. I mean, the reason that we do what we do or the way we do it is because we are we we stood out. We, we stood up for what we thought was right. 
And for that, we got ridiculed. And some of us have even, you know, ended up having to leave the hospital either voluntarily or um, not so voluntarily, <laughs> getting kicked off staff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not because of bad outcomes, not because, but because you wouldn't f- fall in line. Right. Exactly. Right. But that's how change happens. So I'm so proud of this woman and I'm, I thank you for reading it online and I'd like to share it. Um, and I will, and it, it motivates. Well, me. I'm just thrilled that she actually published it that, and that someone actually would publish this. I love see, who, it. who did publish this? Um, remember I was telling you that I was going to write a letter to the hospital and to the doctor that, um, that, yes. Oh, yes. That would that remind everybody. Remind listeners. Well, it might have been two podcasts ago. I, I transported a VBAC mom um, to the hospital, and when we got there, they informed us um, we did travel in an ambulance. Um, another low heart rate issue that we were dealing with at two centimeters, but um, the doctor informed us that um, they don't do VBACs at that hospital, and this is in LA, you know, and um, and then was very condescending towards me about what midwives are legally allowed to do so and then was very unkind to my client when she went in for a follow-up appointment so i am going to write her a letter and i'll be happy to um, read it online once we do that but this just um gives me some great inspiration for that letter so thanks for reading it who did publish it actually it was a santa barbara independent so it's actually good because it's a local paper or a local uh magazine i'm not sure what what the independent is Mm -hmm. By the way, since we're talking about Santa Barbara, and I don't think I read this letter before, this is a letter to one of the physicians at, that runs the maternal fetal medicine program in Santa Barbara. So I thought we'd end today with just as long as we were on the Santa Barbara roll here. Is he the one who you feel like until he retires? Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh, We've talked about mm-hmm. him, but I don't think I read this letter before. Okay. But um, this is a letter that was written to some of the midwives up in Santa Barbara, and they CC'd me on it. And... Um, I'll just read this too, and then we can finish up with this, okay? Hi all, that's just all the midwives. I want to start by saying that I felt it was important that I write this so that you know what is being said out there in the community to your patients. I understand the sensitivity of this subject, and I do not mean to be inflammatory in any way. I understand what I am doing is controversial, but it seems to be more political than truly risky at this point. My husband and I met with Dr. Safaji, this afternoon, and he says everything looks great and that the baby is measuring wonderful. The lower uterine segment is three centimeters. Great amniotic fluid, and to use his own words, you are a great candidate for a VBAC. I would think he meant lower uterine segment is maybe three millimeters. Three centimeters would be too thick. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, nobody would have that. Unfortunately, he left his statement to be the last thing he said to me as I sobbed on the table. Unfortunately, he left this statement to be the last thing he said to me as I sobbed on the table. He said, you are a great candidate for a VBAC. All right, well, I'm not sure I understand that. Okay, keep reading. The beginning of the conversation started with me saying, I can't remember if I am to tell you I am attempting a VBAC at the birth center, and I think the midwives would like a measurement of the lower uterine segment. And then Sophagy, outside of the hospital? Well, did they tell you that you could die? And the husband says, we know the risks. And then Dr. Sophagy says, I respect... What they do there, I really do, but they are operating outside of their scope of practice, which is untrue. Mm -hmm. Do you know why you had a C-section the first time? Patient. A long second stage. I pushed for six hours and baby was occiput posterior. Detecting a theme Theme. here? Uh Yeah, okay. Uh, Dr. S. They were right to do the C-section. Your OB is not known for being knife happy. Patient. But, and then cut off. Obviously, they recorded this because this mm-hmm. is you know, transcribed. It's a transcription. Mm-hmm. Dr. S., it's a significant risk. You would never drive a car without a baby in a car seat, would you? Mm-hmm. I hate that analogy. <laughs> then why would you take the risk? It's much more significant of a risk than dying in a car accident. I skydive, but I don't do that with a baby strapped to my back. Hmm. Does that make any sense to you as an analogy? No, I mean, it's that whole thing that, that women get really bothered by. It's like their experience and their health is completely trumped because there's a baby involved rather than, you know, that they're both individuals that deserve to have an experience and to be thinking right. about their health. Well, here's where he gets into even, digs himself even a, d- a deeper hole. Okay. The patient says, I would try in the hospital, but they won't let me. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And he says, do you understand why they do not allow them? 
And she says, my understanding is that it's not a medical reason that they don't allow them. Mm -hmm. And he says, it's more than that. Cottage that's only less than 2,000 births a year. And obstetricians, that they were to allow this, an OB would have to stay overnight at the hospital two nights a month away from their families. For what? For a possibility of 16 VBACs a year? That is not to mention the anesthesiologists that would be required as well. This is not Cedars-Sinai or UCLA where they have more OBs than the births a month. I practice at Ventura County Medical Center where they have allowed VBACs for years. And in my time there, they've had only 81 women give, ever wanting to attempt a VBAC. And the woman says, any deaths? And he says, three women had uterine ruptures, so near deaths, yes. Three, it's like driving convertible with no seatbelt or airbags versus driving a minivan while wearing seatbelts and airbags. In this case, you should drive the minivan with the airbags and the seatbelts. Me, crying. ACOG recommends that I at least try. It's been five years, and there is data supporting a long interpregnancy length as a favorable outcome. Dr. S., you are a great candidate. I agree with this. It's my job to tell you the risk, and I cannot sleep at night thinking I didn't let you know the reality. It sounds like the major problem is that your expectation was not where it should have, be, where it should have been. A scheduled C-section is not like what you went through. No swelling. Most women are dancing two days afterwards. Did you know that? <laughs> you know, even if they couldn't dance before, they can dance out. That's like the little kid who has a cast on his arm and he asks the orthopedist, when I get the cast off, will I be able to play the violin again? Or not, not again. Will I be able to play the violin? I spoiled the joke. <laughs> and um, doctor says, well, sure. And he says, well, that's great because I couldn't play it before. And it's like, what are you talking about? Uh, these women are very happy. I think the problem with you was you were disappointed. I feel bad. I never want these appointments to go like this. The midwives are my friends. I respect what they do there. I really do. But this is not their place. I think we should do another ultrasound at 36 weeks. Of course you do. I think we should do another ultrasound at 36 weeks, right? Mm -hmm. Can I do it for free? <laughs> no. <laughs> to determine if the uterine segment is adequate because it thins and the baby is in a favorable location of an appropriate size. We thanked him and left. By the way, I want to comment on the, on the thickness of the uterine, lower uterine segment. Mm -hmm. That data is really shaky and questionable. And people who want to not allow a VBAC will use that data. And people who are support, supportive of VBAC don't care what your lower uterine segment thickness is because it's really not predictive of anything significant. Right. Right. Thank the you data for saying is, that. The data is really... Um, uh, it's certainly not level A data, put it that way. So then uh, she goes on to write now separately. I felt tormented. It isn't so much that Dr. Sophagy, be because I know that he feels he has good intentions and, and got a bit carried away, I feel sorry for him. It's because I know that many people feel this way and it will not matter when I am successful. The dialogue will not change. It is slow to change. I looked at my husband, unable to leave the room because I didn't want other women to see how upset I was. I asked, are we doing the right thing? And he confirmed, we definitely are, that, meaning that they're going to have their V back. Yeah. He wants to say that this conversation did not change his feelings on it, and we know what to expect. Well, kudos to the husband for mm -hmm. being so supportive. Mm -hmm. And then she says, thank you for the opportunity to write, and thank you for, well, uh, for the well-informed consent to the midwives. And then she says, of note, Dr. Sophie does ride a motorcycle. <laughs> that's, that's her last <laughs> not a Not a minivan with airbags? No, not a minivan <laughs> with airbags. Okay. So change is coming to Santa Barbara. Yes. And if change can come to Santa Barbara, it can come anywhere. Because I've been practicing in Southern California now for 30, 50, 35 years. Mm -hmm. And Santa Barbara has been recalcitrant. Is that the right word? I was going to say it's a good word. In changing anything. They've been, and I think Safaji's been there the whole time. And it's a long time. Yeah. And it gets back to the argument about, well, if they can't handle the, a possible emergency for a ruptured uterus, which of course is quite rare as he ad admits, then how can they handle abruptions and fetal distress and all the other things that they handle? And he doesn't really have an answer for that. Um, the idea that they have to have doctors in the house for a VBAC, well, you know, I mean, charge more. All right? Yeah. Do whatever you have to do. But you're but the don't eliminate voice. the choice because it's inconvenient. And, and, the, and the doctors, what did he say? The doctors uh, spend, have to spend two nights away from their families. For what? Well, you That's know what? what he said. You should have chose dermatology. Right. Exactly. Right. I agree with you. Right. 
Yeah. I mean, anybody who went into obstetrics who d- doesn't expect to be spending nights away from their family isn't being realistic. Mm-hmm. And even though the changes in the structure of our profession, such as uh, laborists and stuff, or shorter, you know, or group large group call things, makes it makes your personal life a little bit better than when I was first starting out. It's still that you're expecting babies come when they come. Right. Get a different job. Of course, all babies don't all babies come at seven thirty or five o'clock in the afternoon. Five. Five in the afternoon yeah. or at seven thirty in the morning. Twenty <laughs> C sections uh, peak. Mm-hmm. All right. So I, you know, again, we're ending. I lost my aurora borealis here because <laughs> you're all fired up. Yeah. Well, I can't help it. I mean, I I'm surrounded by this stuff all the time. I know. Right. But I love the fact that she that the first person who wrote didn't write to really shame the person. She wrote to to inform to like enlighten them and inform them. And and that his obtuseness. To- was what sp- inspired her to go find other things. To, other things. Unfortunately, there aren't a lot of women like that woman who do it. Other, pe- you know, women have just fallen in line in Santa Barbara forever. Well, we need to, you know, keep talking about it and keep inspiring each other and keep supporting one another to be able to speak our truth. Yeah, and I want to thank Anastasia and the Santa Barbara midwives and all the other people that sponsor. Jen Camel comes up, Chavira comes up uh, every now. Melissa Drake is usually on the panel. And we do it every year. In a, I think it's in the spring in April. And we'll be doing it again this year. Um, and if you want more information about that, if you are in Southern California and you have a previous cesarean section or know somebody who has and want to come, um, you can probably find it at the website or send me an email at askdrstew at gmail.com. So we got to a few things. I still have some other things on the table, so we'll have to save it for the next podcast come and listen to us again uh, my producer is so good you know he hits that music exactly (laughs) when that music's supposed to come on thank you john uh so everybody we really appreciate uh, you listening um to our podcast we uh, you know i have so many podcasts in my podcast app they just pig pile on top of each other and i can rarely get to them so i'm grateful that you take a moment 45 minutes 50 minutes an hour to listen to ours depending on how long-winded we are that in the day thank you for listening and please uh let us know what you think um ask us questions make comments share with your friends yeah share with your friends because that's really important because we want more listeners yeah we're greedy yeah it's fun yeah i'm still looking for a sponsor by the way (laughs) it's really cheap (laughs) yeah the dr seuss podcast is uh, not very expensive to to produce no. Well, Bliss has a Bliss gets the bi- biggest salary of anybody, <laughs> and you get a coffee. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. I get nothing. All right. So until next time, this has been podcast number one sixty five, and uh, again, you can reach us at askdrstew at gmail dot com or um, birthingbliss at hotmail dot com, and find us on social media at birthingbliss or midwifery? at birthing instincts. Right. Mm-hmm. Birthingbliss midwifery. Right. That's right. Okay, so until next time, we, uh, we all love you and just look up at the stars and be kind to everybody and hashtag love more. That's right. Bye-bye.